1: Are we accepting mediocrity at Manchester United? That's what we're considering today on Series 4, Episode 10 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thanks for joining us, as always, as we go through the last three games. A win, a loss and a draw against Everton, Juventus and Chelsea, respectively. We'll be talking Mourinho, the future, Lukaku, Matic, Lindelof, Pogba and much more. And as always, you can expect our extensive youth and loan roundup at the back end of the episode. Now, Jack, mediocrity. Are we accepting it? The thing that made me think of this... As, as a kind of theme for this episode of the podcast was the fact that Chris Smalling, the man who gave away the penalty that allowed Everton kind of back into the game, changed a, a comfortable winning, comfortable win for United at Old Trafford into a nervy last 20 minutes. Chris Smalling reached 300 games for Manchester United at the weekend. Now, I think we'd always normally applaud a player for reaching that number of games for for United, but I think it kind of represents the fact that we have in the last half a decade or so since Fergie left and, and probably before that as well when we signed Gabby Obertan to replace Cristiano Ronaldo, we have started to accept mediocrity at United. I thought I thought we'd start with, with spending. Do you think we, we, even though we've spent a lot, do you think we have accepted kind of mediocre top club status compared to the likes of Manchester City, Real Madrid, Liverpool, etc.?
0: I don't know if at least in terms of the transfer market, I don't know if it's so much accepting mediocrity as it is not being ambitious enough and looking too often looking for a very quick fix um, and being too eager, I think, to kind of plaster over all the cracks. If you look back through a lot of our sign-ins, most of them have been very short-term in nature, at least at least a lot of the bigger ones. You look at people like Zlatan, you look at people like, <clears throat> excuse me, people like Bastian Schweinsteiger, like Falcao, people like that, who were big names? Don't get me wrong. And at the time, we thought they were going to be great signings. Although, I mean, Ibrahimovic was probably the best one of the three. Even though none of them worked out amazingly well, you know, they were big names, but it they were all very short-term fixes. And even even if you go back to a couple of seasons ago with the likes of Matic coming in, they were all very short-term fixes with the goal of kind of papering over the over the cracks and not actually trying to find a long-term solution to a lot of the problems that we've had. So I don't know if it's so much. Accepting mediocrity because if you look at let's take Liverpool for example. If you, if you look at Liverpool signings, the majority of them you'd say are more mediocre names than the what then the signings that we've made since. Is that if you if you kind of take since Klopp came to Liverpool, if you look at their signings, the names of their signings and the sort of standard and quality that they were before they went to Liverpool was probably a lot worse than you'd say the majority of our signings have been. The problem, as we we've said so many times already, is that we seem to be unable to develop those players once they get there, and we seem to be getting that there are very few players that we sign who it seems like will be improving a lot once they're or once they're at United in terms of their age and and the stage of their careers.
1: Yeah, I think a, an, another key issue is the fact that we sign players for their quality rather than how they fit in United's team. I think is a is a, a common theme with United's yeah, big transfers. Big yeah, but I, I think I think you're right about Liverpool. I think. I think as a choice, as a as a top club, you either have to decide to have a good policy, good transfer policy and strategy, like Liverpool do, or like because uh, they've they've kind of got this idea of bringing in young players who are who are talented and and making them better, and they don't really mind that their best players might leave to Barcelona or Real Madrid. So I think you either have to have that policy, like Liverpool. I'm trying to think of other people who do it, um, or Juventus have the kind of free transfer idea as well as big signings. Um, or you have to have the idea that we're not going to have this great transfer strategy. We're not going to have this amazing transfer policy which is going to spend a massive amount of money and do it every year. And even if we win the league, we're going we're to strengthen from there. Even if we win the Champions League, we're going to strengthen from there. And so I think because United clearly don't have that transfer strategy that Liverpool or, or Juventus do, that kind of clear idea about what they're doing every transfer window, we must be going along the lines of, well, let's just, spend a massive amount of money every year. And yes, Mourinho spent £300 million, but you look at the other clubs with that kind of idea of City. City do have a, a kind of a strategy, but PSG, Real Madrid, those kind of clubs. PSG spent more than that on, on two players in the same transfer window. Yes, Mourinho is is constantly putting £100 million worth of, of talent on his bench, but I mean, sit, take a serious look at the other top teams in Europe. Real Madrid... Last season, regularly had 80 million pound Gareth Bale on the bench, 80 million pound Hammers Rodriguez on the bench at the same time. City's bench last week was, um, we're recording this before they play Spurs at Wembley, but against Shakhtar Donetsk in midweek was Kyle Walker, Company, Aguero, Sané, Silva, Foden, and Murich. That's 178 million pounds in total. And given Company and Aguero's quality now, they'd obviously be worth a lot more. They were signed a few years ago, and so yes, United have spent a lot. But it's about the quality of that investment and whether it actually is as much as other clubs. It's kind of, uh, yes, we've wasted a lot of money, but even then, these are clubs already with a good squad who are strengthening constantly. And United are, are pretty much standing still by buying players like Nemanja Matic, a short term, good, very good midfielder at the time we bought him, but not on the same level we don't have that depth or a constant search of transfer greatness that other big clubs do.
0: Well, and without without wanting to harp on about the same point that we seem to make every week, it does ultimately just come back to the recruitment. I think, I I, I genuinely don't believe that anyone inside the club who is dealing with transfers genuinely accepts us finishing you know fifth or sixth. I don't. I even Ed Woodward, who I I you know we we've said all the time that the primary the primary concern for Ed Woodward is money. And I do, I do think that, but I genuinely don't think that anyone who's dealing with transfers at the club really is happy with us finishing like fifth or sixth, you know? And so I don't think it's accepting mediocrity. I just think it's a lack of, a lack of, I don't know what the word, I don't know if it's prior thought or if it's just common sense. There just seems to be a lack of thinking around a lot of our, a lot of our transfer business in the last three or four seasons it has a lot of it come down to who's the most marketable name, who's the player that's going to sell the most shirts. And there are very few signings that you can look at and say that from a purely footballing standpoint, they made complete sense in terms of how they fit in the squad, how they fit with the sort of style that, that we play and how their age is going to fit in with what we're trying to build. When when we had the season with Van Ho, where we where we finished sixth, you, you, you think that that would have been the signal for a complete rebuild you know tear tear the foundations down get rid of the deadwood as people like to say and start building something from the top sorry for, for, from the from the bottom down and let's try and build it up from there I think at that point United fans would have accepted another season or two of not being great if it meant that we were building towards something special with a group of players who were brought in knowing that they would improve a lot at United who all fit with a certain style of play and who were all very clear about the direction the club was going in. And instead, we brought in a lot of players who, you know, and I'm not, I'm, this isn't a knock on, on the players that came in. A lot of the players that we signed up were very good players with great reputations, but not at a stage in their career where in five years' time, they're going to be better than when we bought them. And although I don't necessarily think this is what our transfer policy should be like, I think a good measuring stick of of a transfer is... After three or four years of them being at the club, are they worth more than what you paid for them? And that's not to say that we should be selling every player that we buy after three and four, three or four years, but it's a good way of measuring whether they've improved. And there are very, very few players that you could say would be worth more than when we bought them. Yeah, after three or four well, years at United at the moment.
1: Almost none, and, it, and you kind of—that's kind of the point about have. Uh, do our transfers, have those players overstayed their welcome? And going back to Chris Smalling, yes. Phil Jones, yes. You could even say Marcus Rojo, yes. Uh, other players, Ashley Young, yes. Antonio Valencia, yes. Nemanja Matic even a little bit, yes. Because we kind of, when we bought him, we Just said Just our entire
0: defence, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. And if they've overstayed their welcome, why are they still at the club? And it's because we give them such ridiculous wages. And you look at the situation now. I mean, the of, Fela- um,
0: Fellaini is probably the best example of it as well. Yeah. He pretty much held us to ransom over the summer and we ended up giving him a, a ridiculous contract.
1: And you look at Shaw's now negotiated a massive deal that makes him one of the most uh, well-paid defenders in Europe, having had a few good games. And, and yes, I think we should give him a new deal, but it's because we constantly give out these massive contracts. Marshall's now holding out for the same. De is holding out for the same. And it's it means we can never sell our players because um, we've still got people like Damian like Young like Valencia now Ashley Young is demanding a new two year yeah. contract and it's like well come on just bite the bullet and spend some money on replacing these players who have who have been here for far too long but you mentioned Louis van Aal, um being sacked a couple of years ago I think United fans probably would have accepted a couple of years more of, uh, as, as long as it wasn't the same Van Hal football of, of kind of that transition philosophy stage. But that does also show that we're clearly, we clearly don't accept mediocrity in a certain manner because we don't accept just winning the FA Cup as a good season, as some other clubs would do. And so there clearly is, there, well, we know what the barrier is, isn't it? It's, it's top four. And I guess the reason that we see we see that as mediocrity is because of what we've had on the side. Alex Ferguson, where it's almost every other club in the country and almost every other club in the world, except Bayern, Juve, Barcelona, City, at the moment, would accept top four every season as as pretty good. But that is our barrier, and we just need we we as United fans because we've been so treated, we kind of demand that that barrier should be a lot higher. Yeah, and I think
0: that's an issue that that's played out a lot over the last few years. It's that it's almost it's almost, I don't know how to explain it. It's just short-term ambition over long-term success because the club is so desperate to be in the Champions League every season. And yet, in some ways, that's ended up being to the detriment of the long-term growth of the team because we prioritised, you know, say after the, the season where we finished sixth under Van Hall, we prioritised just getting straight back into the into the Champions League as fast as we can, which we ended up doing, granted. Um, and then uh, And then straight away, it was like, OK, well, those players who just got us here are now over the hill. So we're we'll just bringing another player like Matic who can paper over the cracks for another two years. And now this season, you're seeing Matic having a lot of very, very poor performances this season as he starts to get a lot older. Uh, and and it, it, I mean, just look at some of the players we were playing um, against Everton yesterday. People like Ashley Young, Chris Small and Matic. You know, as we were saying, a lot of these players are players that, should never really be anywhere near the team and probably should have left United a long time ago. And that's not a knock on them necessarily as players. It's to say that we as a club are not being purposeful enough and not being almost ruthless enough in the transfer market to get rid of these players when they signal, I think, a sense of just averageness, mediocrity, like you were saying, that is kind of pervading the entire club at the moment. Yeah. And it, it,
1: it, I mean, it's harsh on Smalling. Well, it's not harsh on Sporley. It's, it's utterly deserved because he, he's a good defender, but he hasn't, I don't know how old he is now. He must be, must be near 27, 28, but I just checked and he now has as many, I want to
0: say he's 28.
1: He now has as many, yeah, he is 28. He now has as many appearances for Manchester United as, as Nemanja Vidic does, which is just a, a horrifying statistic to consider. Um, and and I. And I I've,
0: hey, Smalling probably has less red cards against Liverpool, so that I mean that's something.
1: Yeah, true. I mean the the one positive in in the the one area that would be green yeah. in a, in a comparison with the Mani Village. but <laughs> um, another area I kind of thought would be would be relevant to talk about in terms of mediocrity is the fact that we for, I guess for the last three seasons we've now been playing against our strengths, and to be fair, I read that there was a good interview with Wayne Rooney recently where he said he understood what Louis van Gaal was trying to achieve and everything they were doing in training was actually brilliant at times. And they thought, but they couldn't convert it onto the pitch and he he blamed the players pretty much for, for van Gaal being sacked and for United you know, being rubbish during that time and boring. So it, it's interesting to hear that because we always blamed van Gaal and not the players, but, well, we kind of blamed it both ways, but Rooney really kind of did accept that van Gaal was instilling something good at United. So it's, it's kind of disappointing that we didn't manage to get that that idea of playing ingrained into the club in a good way, kind of ingrained into a club in a terrible, monotonous football style of way. But there is a tendency under Mourinho and under Van Gaal Moys that we kind of, we play to the opposition's strengths. We, we kind of set up to stop the opposition's strengths and we don't really play to our own strengths. It's, Mourinho's tactic at the moment is, either having better players in your position or hope individual attackers win the game for us.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're, we're adapting to, to what the other team can do rather than the other way around. And there are certain games that I think it's acceptable to do that, but not not all the time. I think it, it all comes back to, I feel like a broken record at this point, I seem to say this every single episode about the fact that we just don't really have an identity. Um, and at least under Van Gaal, that was something that, that you could always say is that as boring as the football was most of the time, we did at least have some kind of identity and we sort of knew what we were going to be getting every single week, even though it didn't come off in the, in the way that it was intended. Whereas with Mourinho, we have no idea really what how we're going to play each week, what kind of performance we're going to put in. And a lot of that is down to the players. As And I think we've kind of balanced our criticism pretty well in terms of between Mourinho and the players. But there is there does, or at least seems from the outside, to be a lack of direction from inside the club and from the management.
1: Yeah, look at the recent results as well. Before the Everton game, uh, we haven't, we're not really speaking about the games specifically that much. Everton was kind of, it, it looked to be like a good, comfortable victory with some really nice football into... Uh, Smalling gave away gave away a ridiculous penalty where you could just see the ball go and he just thought it was like uh, it was like Phil Jones's tackle on Hazard in the FA Cup final. He was just waiting for, for him to give yeah. a penalty away. It's, it's happened so many times.
0: I thought the the Everton game was just a, a very typical performance of this season. A couple of a couple of brilliant moments from individuals. We seem to only play well once we once we score a goal. But then, if we don't score, if we don't score two or three more in the next half an hour or so, we then just try and shut up shop, see the game out, and inevitably our defence isn't good enough to actually do that, and then it ends up with a nervy finish. It was very similar to the to um, the Leicester performance in the opening day of the yeah. season.
1: Yeah, I mean, before the Everton game, there'd been seven home games. We'd had, two, I mean, we could say this about including the Everton. So eight home games this season. Uh, Three scrappy wins against Leicester, Newcastle and Everton. Three defeats to Juventus, Spurs and Derby. And two draws against Wolves and Valencia. And in that time we scored 10 goals in eight games, which is shocking. Uh, And we've conceded 11. I mean, Mourinho once went nine years in a row without losing a home game. So this is... That's the problem with with Mourinho at United sometimes. It's just... It is so different to everything in his past. And a lot of people say he's living in the past, and maybe he is. But I mean, in a in a short in a yes or no answer, are we are we accepting mediocrity at United? In
0: in some ways, yes, I think so. Not not totally, um, but I think in in some ways that are having a very big effect. Yes, I think we are.
1: Yeah, I think we're accepting a certain level of mediocrity at board level. I don't think we can be accused as fans of accepting mediocrity. It's not it's not really our job to no. to decide what the team are, are aiming for. Because we're all saying yes, we have to win the league, we have to win the Champions League. So it's not I can I've seen some people suggest that United fans are accepting mediocrity, but it's not I don't think United fans have a duty to decide what level the team should be at. It's kind of our, our job to support the team whatever level they're at and it's the owners, the manager, yeah. the players to to determine what is mediocre and what's what's acceptable. Uh, going, uh, go, going on to speak more specifically about the the recent games, uh, I thought Romelu Lukaku has become Manchester United's scapegoat of the month. It's 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 Paul yeah. levels of of Lukaku scapegoatness, um, and I, I think it's it's fair enough. I don't think I don't think scapegoating is generally good, but I think of all the people to be scapegoated this month, it is fair enough that it's Lukaku uh he hasn't scored in, in eight hundred minutes I think in, in nine games or something which is which is, is very poor and in that time he's had some some brilliant chances to score. Uh and when he came on he was dropped for Everton. What did you think about that? Because he, he came on against Everton, I was about to say and, and kind of ruined the the fluidity that United were having, although Everton scoring also also contributed to that. But he he does just make United look at the moment Certainly. He look he makes United look like a much more stodgy I think stodgy, stodgy is the perfect word, it just came to mind. It's not even <laughs> it's not it's not like slow or anything, it's just stodgy and, and uh yeah, I'm just gonna use that word from now on. A stodgy United side when Lukaku's on the pitch. What do you think of, of Mourinho dropping?
0: I, I thought it was overdue for him to be dropped. I, I agree that he's been he's become the new scapegoat now, just being blamed for any and all United problems. But he does he he does deserve to be criticised to some degree because he hasn't played well in the last couple of months and I think I mean I said in I think in the last episode I thought he should have been dropped two or three weeks ago. I was surprised that he came on. Especially because I think when he came on we we were still 2-0 up at that point, weren't we? And so I'm surprised I'm surprised that he got brought on in the first place. Honestly, I thought he would sit out the entire game. I guess Mourinho's thinking was probably that at that point it looked like a relatively comfortable victory and could hopefully bring Lukaku on and get a goal and get in some confidence. I, the, the thing with Lukaku for me is I just don't, I don't think I've ever seen a player with such little confidence at the moment. And it it comes of course from himself as well, because the confidence comes from playing better, which he hasn't been able to do, but you just see him when he, when he gets on the ball, he's so cautious with everything that he's trying to do. And it's really holding him back. I mean, you look at, um he had, he had a good chance from, I think it was a, a Pogba cross um once we went uh we were 2-1 up and he just completely missed time jump and and ended up heading it wide and it was a a pretty good chance and it he he just looks so low on confidence he also i think needs to lose a little bit of weight um i mean i know i know it's become like it's become a bit of a joke for people on twitter to go off and call him fat i don't think he's fat i think he's actually bulked up too much i think he's just too strong for his own good at the moment um you look at him back when he first came to United and his last season at Everton, he's always been very big physically, but he was, he was very, very quick and very agile for such a tall uh, for such a tall player. I think he's just bulked up a little bit too much. He looks very, very heavy at the moment. Um, and I think that's holding him back. But the main thing I think is just confidence. He's always been a confidence player and he goes on. He's a very streaky player. When was it started last season scoring in the first seven or eight games, and then didn't score from like the end of September to the start of November um, and I th- he is a, he is quite a streaky player. He just needs, needs to get one goal, and then hopefully they'll start flowing. But at the moment, I don't think he does deserve to start. No,
1: I think I think we should be rotating Rashford and and Alexis up top once Alexis is back from injury. To be honest, because we haven't given Alexis much chance as a centre forward, yeah, which is where I he agree. was, where he absolutely tore it up for Arsenal in a in a bad Arsenal side who weren't in form. So I think we should be rotating Rashford and and Alexis. I don't know if Lukaku's bad form is about. Bulking up too much. I can't. It's hard to tell. Um, it it could be that, but I think, yeah, it it is confidence. I don't, I don't
0: think. I don't think the the bulking up is the reason for his bad form. I just don't think it's helping him. Yeah. Mo- it just just as he moves around the pitch, he looks very lethargic.
1: Yeah, I I think that's partly because I think I don't, Yeah, I'm not sure. It could be bulking up. but I think it's probably more down to the fact that he's had a, rid- a ridiculously busy summer. He came back early. I think I mean, he only yeah, had two weeks yeah. off after the World Cup. Maybe even just under two weeks, came back early at the, at the request of of Mourinho, like Pogba and, and, and others did, Phil Jones did as well, I think, and Rashford. Um, he's been, He hasn't had any rest and he played pretty much every game last season. He's played pretty much every game this season. It's And 90 minutes he, in pretty
0: it, much every game that he plays yeah, too. Yeah, he
1: looks tired. And the two players, we're going to move on to Matic in a second, the two players who are, who are looking really disappointing are Romelu Lukaku who has had no rest and Nemanja Matic who is constantly played when it's so blatantly obvious that he needs a rest. But Lukaku, I think... I saw some people, because Rashford got a start up front, didn't score. He hasn't scored. I don't think he's... He might have scored one in his last nine or something. Not a great record either. But I think... I mean, you just have to... If if we could interview uh, the Everton centre-backs and ask the difference between playing against Rashford and playing against Lukaku on, on Sunday... If you, you would tell the difference, even though Rashford hasn't managed to score, because Rashford is his runs are constantly creating space for Pogba, Martial, who are, who are linking up fantastically in the last few games, and Lukaku comes on and it just drops completely. the The intensity drops, and and it, it is going back to that word, stodgy.
0: I think I think a big a big part of Rashford playing up front as well is that it just means that the team is a lot more dynamic. Rashford doesn't stay just purely on on the center backs the whole game he was drifting out wide he was dropping deep to pick up the ball at times whereas with Lukaku I and I know that it, that is more of more of his style to be a more traditional center forward but he plays is is a lot easier to kind of predict where Lukaku's runs are going to be and the kind of areas he's going to play in whereas it was nice with Rashford and having having Mata um playing off the right as well because both of them play very very fluidly they both move uh, change positions a lot and I think it helped with that little interchange and it, it kind of kept the defence guessing. I mean,
1: Lukaku being predictable is fine. Drogba, in a sense, was, was predictable. Um, I don't always like the Lukaku-Drogba senses because I feel it kind of stems from the fact that they're both big black strikers and, and to be honest, people just made a lazy comparison when Lukaku was young. But in terms of Mourinho's strikers... Drogba was the main man at Chelsea. Yeah. Lukaku the main man at United. Uh, Real Madrid didn't quite have the same thing because obviously have Ronaldo. And Inter was was a bit of a different team in terms of the way Mourinho was set up. But if you're going back to his Chelsea days, we, United basically have Drogba, but without having the people who can pump the balls into Drogba and provide him with the the to score. And, and Lukaku has missed so many good chances in the last few weeks and uh, some criminal misses. But he isn't getting the service in the way that, that Drobber was because United kind of. The, the, the problem with Lukaku and Rashford both is that United kind of set up with whoever is playing up front, they become a target man. And Lukaku is, is strong and massive and, and holds the ball up well at times, although he hasn't in the last few weeks, but he isn't, he isn't a target man. Neither is Rashford. Neither is Martial and neither is Alexis. Now, United don't have a target man except Maren Fellaini and Fellaini's not starting up top. So, so quite why we keep having these strikers who are, who are put out on the pitch as target men seems baffling. But Anthony Martial, um, another another brilliant game, another great goal. Um, and yes, you'd start Rashford and Alexis up front, but you keep Martial on that left flank for the next five or ten games uh, <laughs> to not drop him, even if he's tired. Because... I think it's great. Marino in his post-match press conference was, was praising the, his positional improvement and the fact he now has, I think the quote was, a certain balance in his performance. And that's massively positive to it. He's now got the the fourth best minutes to goal ratio in the Premier League this season. He's been fantastic. And, and his link up with Pop is really good as well. He's just got to start every game now. Confidence, all-time high.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he's finally got a little bit of consistency as well over the last few weeks, which is kind of what we've been crying out for the talent we knew is always there uh and i think he's playing better now than he ever has at united even back going back to his first season his game is a lot more refined now and i i, I knew there was something that happened in the game that i knew mourinho and it, i think it might maybe was a reason for those comments after the game it was in must have been sort of 89th 90th minute um and, and we had we were trying to go on the counter, the attack broke down and Martial fully sprinted all the way from Ever- Everton's box, all the, almost back to our own box uh, to track back. I think it was Coleman moving forward with the ball, uh, and I just, I knew that was something that Mourinho would just love. Um, and I think it, it 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 does show Martial maturing a little bit. Not that I I that should be the the best part of his performance, but I think he's adapting a little bit to Mourinho's ways and learning how to kind of deal with it and and still thrive in in the system that he gets put in. Last few weeks he has been brilliant. He was our best player against Chelsea. I think he was uh, our best player again against against Everton. He he should be one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment. He deserves a run of games at left wing, um, regardless really of what happens in the next couple of games. He's earned he's earned at least four or five games in yeah, my definitely. opinion. Um, almost free reign to to give him a go and see what could happen if he goes on yeah. a good run. The only thing I will say is that I th- I think he just needs to uh, keep improving his finishing a little bit. Um, it might be because he hasn't really played through the middle for so long but when he went through on goal um against Everton towards the end he just looked he looked unsure of almost what to do when he was one on one against Pickford um ended up delaying too long and, and Pickford saved so i think he just needs to get a little bit more um a little bit i don't know more confidence maybe i don't know if it, if that's what it is but just improve on that finishing a little bit but positive signs yeah, we've, seen it, for we've sure. seen it with
1: marshall and rashford yeah We've seen that with Marshall and Rashford when they've been given, they, they've got those chances having not played up front for eight. Those kind of chances you generally only get when you play through the middle and then they, they don't have the confidence or they're, they're, they're so out of touch that they can't finish that. Um, final word before before we move on, Matic has to be rested, as we said, would be so much more effective if, if he was rotated with Herrera, Pereira, etc., He's supposedly defensively solid, but at the moment he's he's completely futile. Victor Lindelof, on the other hand, three great games. Juventus. It could have been three four 0 if it wasn't for Lindelof. Some brilliant, brilliant tackles, brilliant distribution, but also the fact that uh, it's it's funny watching him next to Smalling. A confident Victor Lindelof next to Chris Smalling is just it's genuinely funny to watch because <laughs> the ball comes back to to Lindelof in defence, and it's like a back not a back heel touch. What's the word? A kind of. He brings it through his own legs, cuts back straight away, looks forward for the pass. Chris Smalling, ball comes back to him, turns his, his face towards David De Gea, has a little chat with De Gea, looks around, shapes his body up, like looks forward for a second, looks to the side for a second, and then he's like, actually, no, I'll, ju- I'll just go back to De Gea every time. <laughs> he's kind of, you can see him thinking, he's like, oh, where can I pass forward? Oh, can I pass back to Lindelof? No, no, I'll just go to De Gea every time.
0: I think one of the most hilarious things you can see on the, on the football pitch is Smalling having to turn his entire body to face the direction <laughs> that he's going to
1: pass him. <laughs> yeah, when he's shaping up to play it with his right foot and his this entire, what is it? it, must be six foot one or two, his entire frame is just kind of shifting yeah. about. It looks ridiculous. Anyway, for, Victor Lindhoff is having a, a brilliant few games and Paul Pogba has now contributed to 41 goals in the Jose Mourinho era at United. 20 goals and 21 assists in just over two seasons. I mean, he's, he is the main man at Old Trafford even when even yeah. when he's not playing at his best.
0: 100%. Yeah, it just shows you. And that, that's been such a knock on him in the past that he hasn't been involved in enough goals and assists, enough match-winning moments. But, I mean, I th- probably only Lukaku has scored more goals under Mourinho, I would say. And Pogba's probably closing in yeah. on him as well. Um, and 21 assists in, what, a season and a half... Oh, I guess a couple, couple of seasons now, is, is a great return. He's got his um, top goal scorer United. Just to go back United to Lindelof. Bob top go goal
1: scorer at United man, and top assists. Yeah.
0: I, mean, it, it, I mean, obviously some of that comes down to penalties, but at the end of the day, you still got to put them in or put in the rebound, I guess, as it was yesterday. Um, <laughs> by the way, that was an underrated finish. <laughs> yeah. that rebound. He had, to, he had to readjust his feet pretty quickly. But, um, I mean, we don't need to get into the into the penalty run-up. But going back <laughs> to, um, to, Lin- to Lindelof, uh, brilliant performances in, in the last few games. Um, kind of come out of nowhere, really. I I, I thought that Lindelof had something like, like this in him because I remember a couple of games last season. The one that stands out to me is um, I think it was Benfica away in the Champions League last season, where I thought he played really well. Um, but it, it always was just sort of halves of games or or one game, and it, it was never sort of strung together. And even this season, he's been okay without being remarkable. Um, but yeah, that Juve game is probably is one of the best United centre back. Performances I can remember for a long time, probably since Ferdinand and Vidic. He was so good in sort of every every single way, pretty much, and he was brilliant again against uh, against Everton. The fact that he's comfortable on the ball is a massive plus. There was a lot of very very good passes between the lines from him into the feet of Mata and Martial against Everton. Like I noticed and it, it makes such a big difference when we're trying to build attacks. Yeah, I think we're all just praying for for a buy Lindelof partnership at some time. Yeah, but um, then I think I know I think even I though know, Smalling's
1: rubbish, I think he probably he Lindelof probably enjoys playing with Smalling more than than buy in a way. I think it was good for Lindelof to have that yeah. Juventus game because it, it was a massive game against a really good team, but it was still played at, played at the kind of Champions League pace that Lindelof is more accustomed to having played in Portugal. Yeah, and I think he had a good game against Chelsea. And then he had a great game against Juventus and he kind of already been in, in pretty good form and that Juventus game kind of just solidified it, uh, kind of uh, gets him even more confidence. Marino praised him, Gary Neville praised him, so many people praised him and I think then build on that with the Everton game and now he he should keep this going. So it's, it's just really positive. We, we must move on unless you've got anything else to say. No. Cool. So... In youth news, uh Manchester United's under-18s were not in action this week, but under-18, Mason Greenwood, 17-year-old Mason Greenwood, made his debut for the under-23s and scored on his debut. Of course he did, because he, he scores in every single game that he plays, He is an unbelievable talent, as United's under-23s lost 2-1 to Wolves away at Molyneux. That means United lose their spot at the top of the table to Wolves. It's their first defeat of the season. Positive debut for Greenwood, obviously, and United having a a pretty solid season so far. They've been looking so much more balanced than last season when they didn't have a a single striker in the squad, which was funny in a way, but also just so so gutting for all the players who kind of missed out on a great year of development there in loan news pretty much all United's loan players played the 90 minutes this week Joel Pereira Dean Henderson Demi Mitchell Axel Twanzeber, Cameron Borthwick-Jackson played twice so did Twanzebe Fosse Mensah played for Fulham against Bournemouth gave away a penalty and, and Matty Willock and James Wilson almost played the, the whole of their games for St Mirren and Aberdeen in the Scottish Premiership respectively only Kieran O'Hara didn't play uh, our new sub for Macclesfield Town in League 2 against Northampton and Cambridge although Macclesfield conceded six goals in those two games so probably positive that he didn't play for his confidence um, now with Bournemouth at the weekend anyway uh, and not actually not actually an easy game it kind of comes in a run of very difficult games but not the easiest of games prediction well
0: Bournemouth are like the informed side at the moment aren't they Have scored about 15 goals in the last four games I think something
1: yeah. like that which is a warrior against our yeah. defence
0: yeah seriously um they're looking as good as anyone at the moment. Um, no, ser- seriously, I, I think I really like Eddie, Eddie Howe as a manager. I think it's going to be a tough game. This game is actually on my birthday, so I'm hoping United <laughs> you know, will be able to pull out a win. But away at Bournemouth, I don't think it's going to be easy. I'm I'm going to go for a pessimistic 2-2 draw. Oh,
1: interesting. I'm, I mean, 2-2 draw is entertaining for, for United, although we've had some pretty high scoring games in recent weeks. Yeah. I read a disappointing stat though the other day um, I think it was after the Everton game that we haven't won a home we haven't won any games in our last 10 home games by more than one goal which is Jeez. I mean it's kind of we have had some good wins Everton was a was a fine res, uh, like a fine game fine result Juventus wasn't that bad even though it, it should have been better Chelsea was fine but at the same time we still haven't won a game by more than one goal for 10 home games or something which is just uh, a yeah. at- atrocious record. Because again, we just draws we don't
0: we don't capitalise on our leads enough. We we just sit back and yeah try and protect the lead. But defensively, we're just not good enough. Yeah, it's
1: a, yeah, it's a mixture of too, uh, and a horrendous vicious cycle where Mourinho kind of knows that we we can't capitalise on our lead, so he sits back, and then our defence isn't good enough, so we we give away a goal. Yeah, um, and you just have to hope that we're we're leading by two goals at that point. Otherwise, we get a a Stoke City esque West Brom esque. I could, I could go on. Leicester City, esque as 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 last season. I think I'm gonna go. Oh, I don't know whether to be positive or not. I haven't really been positive going. In. I, I was positive going into the Juventus game, but even the Everton game, I was sitting there in the 94th minute expecting us to to concede a, an equaliser. I'm gonna be positive though. Go United two one. But I yeah, I think it. I think you're almost definitely. In fact, I'm gonna scrap that. Forget the positiveness. We'll go one one hopefully hopefully too I just can't it's weird I can't see United winning at Bournemouth The
0: mind overtook the heart yeah the
1: end. I, 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 I cannot see it in myself to see United beating Bournemouth away from home which, which is very odd to say anyway um, thank you as always for listening to the Manchester United weekly podcast this is series four episode 10 discussing are we accepting mediocrity at Manchester United and the answer was kind of a, a half-hearted well but I think slightly more than half-hearted yes and Uh, Kind of other conclusions from the podcast is drop Romelu Kaku more and drop Matic or rest Matic and a a kind of hearty praise of of Victor Lindelof and Anthony Martial. Um, For more during the week from Jack, you can find him on Twitter at At
0: UTDTAIT. Sorry as well if my my sound has been a bit bad. So we don't have my my mic with with me. So I've just been using headphones. It will be. Back to normal next week. Excellent.
1: Nice. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Ty Robinson sixty four and the podcast itself at, at @utdweeklypod. Weekly Pod. That's POD at the end there. Thanks for always for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye.